0: These guys they're blemishes. They're something that are taking away from the beauty of this event. But not only there, it's just serving only themselves. The second metaphor speaks of their shepherds who are not there to feed people, they're here to feed themselves. And it speaks just into, in the prophets, you have all this warnings against the false shepherds who don't care about the people, they only care about themselves. First you have them as blemishes, now you have them as people who are there to serve, but they're only serving themselves. They're there to gain.
1: Sadly, there are still false teachers among us today, possibly even within our own churches. Pastor Daniel warns us in his message that we need to not only look out for them, but actively share the truth that they're failing to teach. These people can be found in places of power, in churches and in ministries, and will seem to be doing some good. Their goal, though, is to gain something, not to give and better those in their care. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Jude, verse 12, with part one of his message, The Juxtaposition.
0: Jesus I don't know about you, but I love sports. I came by my sports love. It was kind of baked into my DNA. I grew up obviously with my father, and my mom, but I had another my mom's parents, I talk about them often here. They were like a second set of parents. And they lived about a half mile away from our house. And my grandpa was also like a huge sports fan. And so growing up, my dad actually played stickball. He grew up in Brooklyn, played stickball around the corner from Ebbett's Field with Gil Hodges' sons. So for those of you who remember the Brooklyn Dodgers before they came, the L.A. Dodgers, that's why, you know, when you're all Italian and you have family from Brooklyn, you can't root for the L.A. Dodgers at all. Because if you leave Brooklyn, forget about it, you know, it's like, just get out of here. So they just, so my dad loved baseball. And also my dad, you know, kind of being a kind of a rough and tumble kid, he never actually got to fulfill his love of baseball because he was in trouble all the time. And so growing up, you know, I was given a glove really young. And so, you know, it's beautiful because now as a parent, I go to the soccer field and there's like all like the laws for parents in the soccer field. You ever see that thing? The reason they have those is because of my family. Like, legitimately, like, there was this one time I was in Little League, and we were getting older in Little League, so, like, you grow up playing Little League against all these guys, but they're your friends from school, and then you go to high school, and then you all end up on the same high school team together. But there was, like, when I was growing up, uh, when you were on the freshman of the JV team, you were still, there was your last year of Little League, and so all of my buddies who I was playing on a high school team with were all playing Little League against each other. And so, sure enough, it's later in the season, and we're in this game, and we're, like, kind of... If we can win a couple games, we're going to make it to the championship. And so we were playing another team, and my good friend, John Benevento. So, you know, like it's all Italian kids, you know what I mean? And so John Benevento was like, he was just like this, like five, ten, both directions. He was just a squat, like, he was just like a tough kid, right? And so John and I, we played high school ball together, but he's on the other team. So I'm catching, and John Benevento's up at the plate, and he's like, Fusco, going? I get on base, I'm going to collide with you so hard at the plate. Like, he's talking, talking at me, you know? And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So sure enough, he gets up, he hits a double. He's on second base. And I hear him at second base. He's just like, give me a hard time. He's like, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And I'm like, oh, no. And so sure enough, the next guy hits a single into shallow right field. And so John, he took the widest turnaround third base. It's like it was like it's almost like in slow mo. I could see like the neck, his neck vein, and his cleats were kicking it up. And sure enough, I'm there as the catcher. And like I know how this is gonna go, right? And like at this point, I'm like a, a buck 15, 115 pounds, soaking wet with a belly full of pasta. You know what I mean? And like and so sure enough, the ball gets there, and John gets there, and John puts his elbow right under my chin, and he rings my bell. Like literally, I don't think I stopped until I hit the backstop. And I dropped the ball. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And so John jumps on up, and he's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like kind of picking up my mask and like trying to put my dignity back together. My dad was the coach, and my dad was like, come on, Dan, you got to hold on to that ball. You know what I mean? Like, no, like, are you okay? He's just like, you gotta hold that ball. Like, you know what I mean? And like, the umpire's like, listen, this is a little league game. You know, this isn't a big league. You guys gotta calm down. No more contact at the plate. No way. So sure enough, the next inning, John's catching. Ah, you know where this goes, right? And so, sure enough, I get up there. Now, I'm not saying anything. He just rung my bell. He knew it. I knew it. So, like, I'm not talking him up. It's just like, this was bad, you know? And so, sure enough, I ended up walking. I didn't get the hit. I got on base. And there was a pass ball, so I was on second base. And in my mind, I'm starting to play how this is going to go. You know? And so, sure enough, the guy up, he hits a single in the shallow left. And I'm like, oh, game on now. I'm not a big guy, and I'm not a fast guy, but like, you know, when puberty and dignity is on the line, like, you can get yourself going, you know what I mean? So sure enough, I come around third base, and I could almost see my dad just being like, oh, you know? And so sure enough, I come around, and I just left my feet. It was just like, I was just more worried about knocking John out than I was about scoring. And so sure enough, I get there before the ball gets there, and I hit, you know, John doesn't go all the way to the backtop because he's a big boy. But, like, I nail him pretty hard, and the ball doesn't get there, and the ump's like, Fusco, you're out of the game. He threw me out of the game, right? Because he already warned us, no contact at the plate, right? And then my dad goes ballistic. (laughs) Like, at that point, my dad goes nuts. He goes nuts. He's just like, oh, come on. He's, like, yelling at the ump. He's like, come on, they play Little League together, and... Daniel's got to hit him again. He just got nailed. Him. It doesn't matter that you warned him. You know what I mean? And my dad's going on and on. And then the ump gets so wound up, he throws my dad out of the game. <laughs> now, you think the story ends there, but they forgot that my grandpa's there too. <laughs> and my grandpa's on the stands. And when my dad gets thrown out of the game, then you I start hearing my, now my grandpa. So my grandpa's my mom's dad, but he looks just like my dad. Right? So I won't call him, you know, Grandpa Fusco, but he's really... Grandpa Capadona, you know what I mean? And my grandpa just starts going on and on. He's throwing water. He's talking about the ump's mom. I'm like, Grandpa, you know what I mean? And it was just really bad. And then all of a sudden, the ump looks over. He throws his mask out. He's like, Mr. Cappy, you get off the complex right now. The whole family. And you know what's amazing? I'm just grateful that they didn't have like cell phone cameras or else this would be immortalized on YouTube, you know what I mean? But it's like they threw the whole family off the complex. And then sure enough, you, know, you get back to the car, you know. By the time, it took my grandpa like about 25 minutes to calm down. You know what I mean? Like he was, I can't believe he threw him out of the game and it's for the championship. And man, man, when you dropped that ball thing, I was so mad at you. Like they were giving me a hard time in the car. But why do I tell you this story? Because sometimes things are worth fighting for. You know, and now Listen. I'm not saying that it was godly of my family to do what they did. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that like fighting for like that at a baseball game is like the most important thing. But we got to fight about the things that are the most important, don't we? We got to contend for those things. And that's actually what the book of Jude is about. The book of Jude is about the need to fight for the things that are the most important. You know? And it's funny because when I look back on that story, now I share that story at the end of my book honestly as a picture of love within a family right? Now, it's important to realize that like, you know, family is important and you got to fight for your family. And when I think about that story now, it's not really about the baseball game or my buddy, John Benevento or my family. It's about the fact that like my parents, my dad and my grandpa loved me and they cared. And in a world where many people have experienced families that didn't love them, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that they love me enough to get worked up over something as inconsequential as a 12-year-old Little League game. But we need to make sure we fight for the right things. And that's why we are studying the book of Jude in this series that we're calling Little is the New Big. So open up in your Bibles to the book of Jude. It's just one chapter long. We're going to be taking Jude verses 12 to 25. We're going to be finishing this little book. Now, if you're looking for it in the Bible, it's really easy to find because the book of Revelation, that's the last book in the Bible. Open up the back page, get to the book of Revelation The book right before the book of Revelation is the book of Jude. Now, if you recall, and if you were with us at our last message, what we found is that Jude wants to write this letter to this church, and he wants to talk about their common salvation, but there's an issue. In this young, fledgling, upstart church, there have been these men who have crept in, ungodly men, who are seeking to undermine the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And they're ungodly men, and they're denying Jesus, and they're really what they're saying is you can live however you want, and it doesn't matter, right? And literally, almost the entire book of Jude is about these people, these people who have come on in, they've gotten in by stealth, and they're undermining the work of the gospel. And we saw in our last message all these different things about these guys. And so we're going to pick up in verse 12, and... Jude's not done in his explanation of who these guys are And what these guys are about So look what it says in verse 12 I'm going to read verses 12 to 19 It's going to be a pretty decent clip for me to read to you But check it out It says These are spots in your love feasts While they feast with you without fear Serving only themselves They are clouds without water Carried about by the winds Late autumn trees without fruit Twice dead pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Verse 14, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts, these are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read the book of Jude, and I just read this last little piece about these ungodly people, Jude's kind of worked up about this, isn't he? Like, he's got something to say. And so I want to put all this under an important heading, because it's important that we realize Jude is writing about what's going on in the church So this is what's happening in the local church. Now, there's all sorts of people who have the tendency to say, the early church, they really had it right. We need to go back to the way it was in the early church. Not really so much. There's all sorts of problems in the early church. Like here you have, there's this church, and there's people who are part of the church who are actively undermining the work of the gospel. And that happens even within the church. But if you want to put this whole thing in context, this is what I'm going to say. And it's kind of a common, fun phrase But it's true, just the same. And it's simply this, that haters are going to hate. Haters are going to hate. See, these guys are part of the church, but they really don't like Jesus. They don't like the gospel. And even though they're there and they're part of the people, they're just haters. And as I always like to joke, the problem with haters is they like to drink (laughs) haterade. Because what happens is, that's pretty good, right? That's fun, right? Don't drink the hater aid, you know what I mean? It's like, but what happens is, is a couple of haters get together and then they work up and then they're getting built up and they're hating. And what's going on is the fact that there are haters who are part of the church is completely undermining the work of the gospel. And we've seen all sorts of things about it, but now we see in verses 12 and 13, we get six metaphors, six pictures that he used. Now remember, I told you that the book of Jude is kind of built upon these series of triads, these threes, and we see them all over the place. Now we get like a three to the second power or whatever. You know what I mean? We get this amplification of this triad, these six metaphors, all about these guys who don't really love Jesus, who don't really love the people of God, who are there for their own ends and their own reasons. And we have these six metaphors. First, we says, they are spots on your love feast while they feast with you without fear. That word spots can also be translated as stains, Or blemishes. Now, any of you gals like blemishes? (laughs) No, right? There's a whole industry to try and alleviate blemishes. And so these haters who are in the church, but they're really not part of it, they're blemishes. They're spots. They're stains on the love feast. And the love feast was the way the early church talked about the communion meal. When they gathered, just as we did around the Lord's table, they would get together for a meal together, and the churches were small. They were house churches. But now we have a stain How many of you have ever had a dinner party You're just trying to get everything nice and then all of a sudden your kid spills or you spill something all over the place on the tablecloth, right? Never happens, right? No, it always happens. These guys, they're blemishes. They're something that are taking away from the beauty of this event. But not only there, it's just serving only themselves. The second metaphor speaks of they're shepherds who are not there to feed people. They're here to feed themselves. And it speaks... Just into in the prophets, you have all these warnings against the false shepherds who don't care about the people. They only care about themselves. First, you have them as blemishes. Now, you have them as people who are there to serve, but they're only serving themselves. They're there to gain. And I think this is very important because Jesus said that the greatest in the kingdom would be what? The servant of all. We are called to serve one another. See, we always have to ask ourselves, not what can I get from the church, but what can I give? How do I serve? And that's such an important thing because we live in a world, especially in a consumer culture, everything's, well, what can I get out of this thing? No, 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 that's the heart of the world. That's not the heart of Jesus. Jesus says, what can I give? And we know that because what did Jesus give? Everything. He gave his whole life, right? There are shepherds who are supposed to help. I mean, they're shirking their responsibility. A shepherd's job was to feed and protect the sheep. That was their major responsibility. But these leaders, they're false leaders they don't really care. They just want to serve themselves. Notice the third metaphor that you have here. They are clouds without water carried about by the winds. Now, I know for us here in the Pacific Northwest, we kind of like it when we have clouds with no water, especially when it's July. We're fine with clouds with water all the other times, but after the 4th of July, God knows it's supposed to be sunny. Amen? It's true. I remember when I moved here, everyone's was like, "Fascinating. you like the rain? Yeah, the rain's fine. Well, listen, once 4th of July hits, no more rain. You're going to have three months of perfect weather. Liars. <laughs> but in this picture, you got to remember, they're living in Jerusalem that in the Middle East it's an arid climate it's a desert climate and they needed rain this was before mass irrigation and all these things they needed rain to be able to feed the water so that all the crops could grow and when you were in an arid climate and you didn't have any water nothing grew and they didn't have you know all sorts of genetically modified things that you know plants that can grow with no water or whatever you know what i mean and so they would starve and so when you saw clouds and didn't have rain it was a major bummer does it make sense So the clouds were meant to be the vehicles to bring the water to be able to feed the ground so everything can grow. These leaders were like clouds with no rain. They were superfluous. They didn't fulfill what was necessary for them to fulfill. The fourth metaphor tells us late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. How many of you have fruit trees in your yard? When do all the fruit come out? Autumn So the idea is a late autumn tree that has no fruit. It's supposed to have borne fruit. And the problem with these leaders who aren't really followers of Jesus is that they're not bearing fruit in their own lives. And because there's no fruit being born in their lives, they can't promote fruit bearing in someone else's life. you see why these leaders are, they're a problem. This is why Jude has to write this, because the Bible says that God has glorified that we do what? That we bear much fruit. God wants our lives to be fruitful, and there's no doubt when a leader or leadership is not bearing fruit, how can you ever give what you don't have? How can you ever encourage towards something that you're not experiencing? And so these leaders are completely undermining the work of the gospel. Now, we have a couple more metaphors here. Look at what it says. It says, these are raging waves of the sea foaming up, Into their own shame Now if you're a surfer You're like man that sounds awesome Surf's up dude But the reality is that for us We see the sea as beautiful But for people historically The sea was something that was untamable Because of technology And the advances in boat making everything You know you see a raging storm on the water And it could be a problem as we find out From the news and different things But for historical people The sea was something untamed That you couldn't really get your arms around So these guys, they're just like a raging waves of the sea, foaming up to their own shame. And then finally, wandering stars from whom is reserved blackness of darkness forever. The idea of a wandering, sorry, it's speaking about the celestials, the stars. And people are able to see things in the stars and be able to guide themselves by Fixed stars but a star that was a shooting star a star that would be moving around you could not use as a compass to help you get where you're trying to go to and these leaders were like wandering stars that you couldn't fix yourself to them and be able to say this is the way we go it's, this is the complete opposite of like the apostle Paul because what did the apostle Paul say he said follow me as I follow Jesus See, Paul, that's a bold statement, but it's also a statement about who Paul was. He's saying, look, I'm following Jesus and I can trust it. If you follow me, we're following Jesus together. These six metaphors show the problem. And not only that, as we move on, by the time you get to verse 14 and 15, you get this prophecy by this man, Enoch. It says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying. Now, we read about Enoch in Genesis chapter five, verse 24. Right. He's in that first genealogy in the book of Genesis. And it says in Genesis five twenty four, and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Now, it's amazing that Enoch, he walked with the Lord and it says that God took him. Now, all sorts of people talk about what that means. But really, Enoch was he was taken out before God brings the flood through Noah. Now, of course, biblically speaking, it talks about the idea of the church being removed before this tribulation period comes. Now, not everybody agrees with that. And if you're someone who's in a different spot with that stuff, that's fine. It's not something that we fight about and divide over. It's something that we discuss as a family and we come to some sort of like, okay, maybe we agree to disagree. But that picture is there all the way in the book of Genesis. This guy Enoch, he walked with God and God removed him before judgment came on the entire earth through Noah. Now, what Jude does is he talks about this prophecy of Enoch, which you actually get in the book of Enoch, which again was one of those intertestamental books that we don't have in our Bibles. It's called an apocryphal book. A couple people have asked about that because Jude quoted another one in the Assumption of Moses. And so, you know, it's these books that are in between that we don't consider them to be inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they do give us understanding into the culture Things like we talked about uh, Judas Maccabee last week. In the book, there's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Maccabees in those intertestamental books where we learn about how the festival of Hanukkah came to light and all these different things. But notice that in Enoch's prophecy, and Judas linking it to these leaders, these haters, right? There's two recurring words. That word is the word all and the word ungodly. Over and over and over again in this prophecy. Look at what it says. It says, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints... To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now listen, what this says is that God judges haters as to who they are. Now people don't like this today people in some way in their mind saying, well, I don't want to believe in a God who would judge people. And I'm here to tell you, you don't want to believe in a God who wouldn't judge people because part of God's perfection is being able to say, listen, that is wrong. See, this is the problem that we have in our world today. Now, listen, we have a lot of problems today. But the problem is, is everybody wants justice, but nobody has a foundation stone for what justice is. So justice is completely arbitrary. It's not grounded in anything. Jesus is real.
1: What do we fight for in this world? Today's message revealed how passionate Jude was about those spreading false teachings and rejecting the message of Jesus. Pastor Daniel encouraged us to also feel passionate about the truth of God's Word and the life we have in Jesus. He came to set everyone free from the sin we all have committed, yet some still resist His grace. Our job is to keep sharing His love and keep telling the truth.
0: Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hey everybody Pastor Daniel Fusco here I'm the lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church I love that God invites all of us to be a part of his family and I wanted to invite you to be a part of my family of faith in Vancouver services on Sundays at 9am 11am and 1pm or in Southwest Portland our service on Sundays at 10am as well as midweek services Wednesday at 7pm at both campuses we would love to have you join us and if you're at a distance check us out on our internet campus CrossroadsLive.tv I look forward to seeing you soon
1: Place a marker. In- in your Bible and join us next time as Pastor Daniel talks about complaining. How is our complaining negatively impacting our message? Jesus is bigger than any problem we could possibly encounter in this world yet the response is still negative If we join in with the complaints we're not allowing Jesus' power to be what we're trusting Jesus can and will take care of the trials we face We can trust him